Live from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Kelly Fennell, immigration attorney, Peter Hanna, adjunct professor at Chicago Kent College of Law. Nick Kalm, a Republican and founder of this and CEO of Reputation Partners, and Mike Corman, Master Chief Petty Officer, United States Navy retired. Thanks very much for joining us. I'm Bruce Dumont. Our phone lines open at 1-800-723-8029. Coming to you tonight from the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, 1-800-723-8029. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's brucedumont at museum.tv. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at dumo, at D-U-M-O. And, of course, you can join us on the World Wide Web, both the audio and video portion of our broadcast each and every week at beyondthebeltway.com. And, of course, if you can go to our Facebook page, it's Bruce Dumont, Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont. You can find us there. This program is broadcast live on Facebook all over the world. And, again, we take your questions uh, via Facebook as well. Well, again, uh, I don't have to say that every week I just say we've got too much to talk about, but we're going to try to cover as much as we possibly can. Some of the big stories uh, that we will touch on this evening really are not going to, they're not going to be resolved until next week. So we'll do a little uh, a little sample discussion of what might be coming up next week with the president, and then uh, we'll also talk obviously a lot about it next week on the broadcast. Obviously one of the big decisions that the president is going to announce tomorrow night at 8 o'clock Central Time, and that is his choice for the United States Supreme Court. It allegedly is down to four uh, individuals, uh, all of whom are conservative, and we'll talk about that as it unfolds. But I, I do want to talk about begin by talking about something we have discussed uh, at length on this program, and because we have a couple of guests whose uh, areas of expertise and interest, and I think all of our guests are interested in the subject, and that is illegal immigration, and whether or not the recent decision by the president uh, the recent executive order, whether that is being uh, administered uh, by those on the ground. So, Kelly Fennell, you're one of our immigration attorneys this evening. Uh, what's the latest that you've heard from your friends and colleagues on the border? Has, has the president's executive order uh, saying that women and children should not be separated, is that being felt by those administering that executive order on the border, in your opinion? I we still have the same issues and still the bigger issue of family detention, which is going to be expanded because of that. Um, but right now, the families aren't being reunified. They're, at, they're still within the deadline, right? Um, it's not going well. They're not really sure how they're going to effectively do that. And, I mean, they're even talking about using DNA testing because they can't figure out with children under five, um, you know, who their parents are and where they're is at. That a, is, is DNA testing something that you would support? Is that a good idea? Um it, I would say it depends on how that's carried out, right? I mean, obviously, we want to get these children back with their families. Um, but the fact of the matter is these kids have already been very traumatized. So I would hope that the administration makes sure that, you know, they're upholding human rights to the fullest extent possible and, you know, treating these children as well as possible. Peter Hanna, uh, you're also an attorney. You're also adjunct professor at uh, Kent College of Law in Chicago. Uh, and immigration is one of your areas of expertise mm-hmm. in addition to privacy and cybersecurity. Uh, what are you hearing from your friends at the, at the border? Because you went down there. You wanted to volunteer and go, to go down there. And they basically said, stay home, right? Yeah, I mean, I, the, the outpouring of attorney support has really been, you know, amazing. And uh, it also is 
presented a problem to a lot of these organizations that need um, logistical support to kind of organize everyone. But the chaos that the, the government has sort of um, has wrought by separating these families and splitting folks up at the border has made it very difficult just to even get attorneys in courtrooms, which is really one of the biggest needs because the presence of attorneys at some of these removal proceedings, uh, many of which are, are occurring en masse, so it'll be an, a hearing for 15, 20 people at once. And this is kind of a story that's a little bit hard to – hasn't gotten its legs yet – um, the presence of an attorney at any of these hearings has a profound effect on how the hearing is conducted. Um, but you mentioned, you asked Kelly about the DNA testing. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, one of the cases that the ACLU worked on, in fact, the one that led to the 14- and 30-day deadline for the government to reunify parents and children, uh, one of the class plaintiffs in that case, uh, Ms. L., um, you know, the reason, the basis that she was separated from her daughter initially, and this is back in January or February of 2018, the reason was that supposedly the government didn't know if, you know, it was actually her daughter, or she was being smuggled, or, you know, she was, uh, you know, being trafficked, despite obvious, you know, obvious indicia that she was her daughter, including the girl screaming, you know, for her mother for hours on end. And ultimately, it was actually the judge in California who said, well, why don't you guys just do a DNA test? If it's a cotton swab, it'll take okay. five seconds. And they did that and confirmed right away. So the the DNA testing, you know, it seems like an easy solution to identify that this person is, in fact, this person's child, but it really shouldn't have anything to do with the separation in the first instance. No, but, but do you agree that the, the, uh, the swab is a good idea, though? Because, and by the way, do we, does anybody really know the number of people yes. who are trying to smuggle children who are not their children? Do we have a number? I'm the president's been talking about that for several months. Do we know how large a number of people that is? Anybody? I haven't seen that published by U.S. Customs and Border Protection, so I wouldn't know. That would be something you'd have to file a Freedom of Information Act request. Nick Com also joins us. He's one of our card-carrying uh, Republicans. And, and, Nick, my question to you is um, you are the head of our organization called Reputation Partners. You're, you're, you work with entities that have PR problems. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to ICE and to the Border Patrol now, or do they not need one in your view? Do they, do they, do they need to clean up their act a little bit? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think this was, you know, a disastrous decision on the part of the Trump administration, not only for the human impact, which our attorney friends here have spoken about, but I'm in the optics business, and optically this was just a disaster. And feeds right into the perception that Republicans are heartless and cruel and don't like brown people and all of that. So it's a mess, no question about it, needs to be cleaned up, needs to be cleaned up promptly. Uh, Children do need to be reunited with their parents. Um, You bring up a very interesting point, though, about the human trafficking element. I think that is not getting at all the attention that it needs to. And in our haste to reunite families... But do we know that it's really a big problem? We don't know. I understand the president talks about that it's a big problem, but I don't know. And, and by the way, if it is a big problem, I think it is a major problem. But do we really know that's a fact? I don't think we know, and that's one of the issues, and I don't think we really know, and I'm, I'm sure my fellow panelists here have a view on this, but how many of the folks who are really coming into this country through the process are really here for legitimately seeking asylum for the appropriate reasons that have been codified for seeking asylum, or are they just looking for a better life? I mean, I go down to the border and I spend my a week in a detention center every day, and I can tell you that the women I speak to do have credible asylum claims. 
Um, what is a credible asylum claim? So, um, according to you know Seventh Circuit precedent, not necessarily in the Attorney General's opinion, um, there are several reasons that you can ask for asylum. You have to prove that you are going to be persecuted or severely harmed if you have to return to your home country, or that you have been severely persecuted in the past on account of one of certain protected grounds, which is race, religion, ethnicity, national origin, and the one that is getting a lot of flack right now is this particular social group ground, and that's, you know, um, women of domestic violence, women who are unable to leave the relationship has been one. Um, LGBTQ cases fall into that area as well. So it's really a very broad basis, and it's a very individualized case-by-case assessment. I want to talk more about that when we come back. 1-800-723-8289. I know you perhaps have comments as well. 1-800-723-8289. We've got some immigration attorneys uh, with us this evening. They can perhaps answer your questions, and we'll continue to also talk about the other big political stories of the week. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight live from Chicago. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago, and uh, we're continuing our conversation. We started it a couple of weeks ago trying to get a better understanding of, of what the, the, the real specifics of uh, this immigration crisis is all about. We hear about illegal immigrants, and then we hear about people trying to come here and seek asylum. And again, there's a, there's a huge backlog at, at, at each of these uh, areas at the moment. Uh, I want to I talk about the asylum again, to go back, who can seek asylum? Um, if you're living, let's say, in Guatemala and you have a, your, your life is miserable, you live in a neighborhood where there's a lot of violence, is that a legitimate reason to get out of Guatemala with your kids? And morally, I understand it, but right. legally, if you want to get into the United States, is that a reason to let somebody into the United States? I mean, well, gang cases are very, very difficult to win. And um, part of the reason that is is because, you know, for someone to be eligible for asylum, they just can't be a victim of a crime. There has to be a centralized reason or a nexus that they're being persecuted, right? So every single person from a war-torn country isn't going to be able to receive asylum in the United States. They have to prove that they personally would be targeted because they are a member of a protected group. Would you, would you, I'm going to ask this to Peter, would you agree that there are people uh, in, in, in Central America, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, would you agree that there's many of them, or large numbers of them, that want to use the asylum uh, opportunity and it may not be valid? 
I mean, I think anytime you have a system set up where there is a method of, you know, getting kind of expedited entry into a country that will provide many more options and opportunities, you know, there are going to be people who are going to misuse it. That's true in every country. But I think we, you know, the, the laws that we have, the Immigration and Naturalization Act, and the basis bases that are available for asylum are so tightly particularized. Um, the process takes a really long time. And let's not forget that the folks that are at the border, you know, they didn't just, you know, drive over there. Many of them walked, you know, thousand plus miles uh, to get there, um, you know, so that just to jump back to the child trafficking thing, you know, it'd be a very peculiar way to go about child trafficking to bring, you know, to walk, you know, thousand miles with a kid um, who's not yours and, you know, just try to use the asylum laws to get in here. Um, you know, what Kelly mentioned earlier about the different bases for asylum, and I think, Nick, you asked about it too, is, you know, their gang violence, it's a hard thing to prove that you're entitled asylum because of gang violence that is targeting your particularized social group. Same for domestic violence. These are tough cases. Uh, sure, and, you, and, and, and I, I would say, and I've said this numerous times in this program, there are people in the United States listening to this program this evening, whether it's on the south or west side of Chicago or, or in central L.A. I mean, they suffer from gang violence as well. I mean, the, 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 literally, they can't go out of their houses. They have the same fears mm -hmm. as the mother or father trying to get their kids out of Guatemala. I, I want to go back to you about the, the issue. It seems to me that from the, from the Trump administration's perspective, the one thing is that um, they weren't ready for this. Despite the fact that there was news every single night that there were, there were hordes of people coming up through Central America, through Mexico, that, you know, and literally there were reports every single night the president then started to, you know, blast those coming into the country. It seemed to me that we should have been better prepared when they got to the border. Yes, although I think, I think, and I have no reason to believe this, but I actually think that this was a crisis that they wanted to have happen in a very misguided way to basically bring attention to um, the ongoing immigration issue, which the administration has been talking about pretty consistently for months, if not years, and the idea of showing a horde of people trying to come into this country and having challenged to do so, being challenged to do so, is something that I think some forces in the administration actually wanted to have happen. Again, I think it was very misguided. I think it was a huge mistake. Okay, we should mention that, that, that Nick, is, Nick is a Republican, uh, and again, there's probably a lot of Republican Trump supporters listening to the broadcast this evening that can't believe that the Republican is saying this, but I don't think you're the only Republican that's saying this. And if you want to challenge that, one of our fourth guests has not arrived yet. Uh, we'll find out why. But, but I, again, it's on, I think I think it's on a on a humanitarian level. Mm -hmm. And then even if you want to take the humanitarian element out of it on a purely practical Machiavellian political level, it's a mistake because of the reasons I talked about before. It plays into the perception that Republicans are heartless. Why would we do that in an election year or any year? Yeah. And I really don't even think it's when you boil it down, it's really not even I mean, it's a nonpartisan issue. I mean, everyone, Democrat, Republican alike, we want the laws of the country to be followed. But the, these laws interface with a lot of humanitarian issues, a lot of just practical issues, administration of your border issues and the manner in which, you know, this administration has discharged its duty has been, you know, I think optically horrific, but practically horrendous with impacts to thousands of kids who you know, are going to be affected for the rest of their lives. So it's just a debacle on all, on all levels. Is it also horrendous from a political standpoint? Is it also horrendous or certainly unwise for some leaders of the Democratic Party to suggest that we should abolish ICE? Uh, 
mm. which is just enforcing the law that's been created by Democrat and Republican lawmakers for 40 years. Kelly? Uh, I think there, there are two schools of the whole abolish ICE movement, right? You have, like, some that say completely dismantle it, disband it, get rid of it. We don't need an immigration police force. Um, but then there are others that think it should be restructured and the funding should be revisited. And even recently, um, I think there were some ICE officers, if I'm not mistaken, that called for there to be two separate splits between HSI and another one of them. So um, I think, I mean, I have issues um, with um, sometimes the way ICE acts as a police force. Um, but I think, I don't know what the answer what, to that what is. What are your problems? I think right now, um, discretion has been completely taken away uh, by this administration, which is an issue. In Chicago here, if there uh, was a person who did have a credible fear or a possible asylum claim and it was removal proceedings, they would be able to be released and fight out their claim in a non-detained setting. Mm -hmm. I used to have clients that would come into contact with ICE because they were looking for one brown person and they found another brown person um, that have zero criminal convictions in their record that previously would be released without a bond and now are being told that they have to sit there in detention in a jail in a jumpsuit and wait for a hearing for a, like before a judge, which is a ridiculous waste of resources. Well, when they're, coming to, the, when they're coming, to the, coming to the border, how many of them know that they're going to seek asylum and how many know of them? They're just coming here because they want to uh, flee whatever they want to flee. Well, I think, and again, because the president has said, and and certainly uh, border patrol people have said, is go go to the entry points where you can seek asylum. I'm very now, happy. How many that people you really know about that? <laughs> well, actually, many people know about that, and what we saw in one of the issues that was how with many, the caravan. How many, how many legitimate spots are there? Well, for there are several ports of entry. CBP is one of the largest law enforcement agencies in this country, and. I hear the same story from several women that speak several different languages that they're told when they present themselves at a port of entry, oh, our quota's full, it's a change in policy, yes. we don't give asylum anymore, we don't have enough space. So, so I mean, that I, happens. It's still happening. It's a huge issue. I just want to add, because this point, is, it's, you know, it's really, it's so resonant with me, many of my colleagues who are at the border at Brownsville, um, you know, in the ACLU and, and other organizations, have crossed the border with their passports and right across the border, the bridges are full of people who are just sleeping on the bridges. Mm -hmm. I was, I was, you know, it's nothing to make light of, but I was thinking to myself, this looks like a alternate universe line to buy a new iPhone or something because it's just <laughs> hundreds of people who have been told at the border that we are full, we're out of space, which is kind of a, an absurd thing to say to someone who's here seeking political refuge. I mean, it begins to kind of tread into that area of a humanitarian crisis slash violation of, you know, human rights law. It's also a violation of U.S. code because it is. U.S. code specifically states if you present yourself at a port of entry, you have to be processed. But also uh, the, the asylum laws of the country is that if you were fleeing one country, isn't, isn't it the first country that you put your foot down in that you seek asylum from. So when these people no. are coming up from Central America, should they not be seeking asylum from Mexico? That's the safe third country bar to asylum doesn't even come close to saying that if you pass through a country, you have to stay there. I mean, sometimes seeking asylum in Mexico is an option. Sometimes it isn't. Many of the members of the caravan that were in the headlines in the past did seek asylum in Mexico, and there is actually a community in Mexico City of Central American refugees, but it's not an option for everyone. There was a Honduran woman who was a reporter who 
you know, fled to Mexico and was going to stay in Mexico. But the same people that were trying to kill her in Honduras found her and killed her in Mexico. Mm. I've personally assisted with a case with an African woman who gained asylum in Mexico only to become a victim of human trafficking in Mexico. And now she's seeking asylum here. So sometimes it's an option. Sometimes it isn't. And, and you're entitled under, under U.S. law, which Kelly just mentioned, to a credible fear hearing when you present yourself at the port of entry. So I present myself at the port of entry and I say, hey, you know, my cards are out. I'm not an American. I'm here to apply for asylum. Um, I'm entitled to a credible fear hearing. But what this administration has done is it's used that opportunity to separate parents from children and to prosecute the people who seek the hearing without ever giving them the hearing and then keeping them incarcerated with no hearing ever and telling the people who are at the border, sorry, we're full. What, what, what's a credible hearing like? I mean, what, what's a credible story? I mean, if you, if you were here, if, 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 if you were the hearing officer, mm-hmm. what's a credible story? I mean, do you want to take that one? I sure. <laughs> Anybody so, take a, I want my audience to know what is a credible story that you think would, you would agree and stamp, yes, okay, we're going to accept So you. the credible fear interview process is just to see if you get a chance to argue your case in immigration court. So purposely, the standard for that is a lot lower than to get asylum. Like, usually, like, they expect. I like to explain to people maybe like a 10% chance you might have an asylum case. So what they're looking for is, one, can you establish your identity? Like, do we believe you are who you say you are? Do we believe that you're telling us the truth? Um, And these are specialized, trained officers that vet these cases and these interviews can last up to three hours. Um, Have you been harmed or will you be harmed if you go back? Can your government protect you? And why are people, why are you afraid who's targeting you? So it's kind of a... And tears don't work. Um, no, I mean, these are very well-trained officers. And actually now, um, since the recent decision from the attorney general, we're, we've seen the denial rates at the Dilly facility in Dilly, Texas specifically triple. 1-800-723, we're getting into the details of illegal immigration. You don't hear it very much anyplace else. We're doing that tonight. 1-800-723-8029. Back shortly. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida, so why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sip cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Bruce Dumont back. We continue from Chicago, and we've got a great panel guests uh, this evening, and uh, we're going to have them introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about them. And we begin with Kelly Fennell. Hello. I'm an associate attorney at Hughes Sokol Pierce, Bresnick, and Dem. I practice in immigration. I focus on family-based, removal-based benefits, asylum, and humanitarian-based immigration benefits as well. And I'm the co-chair of the American Immigration Lawyers Association Advocacy Committee, and I do a lot of advocacy for immigrants. And of all the disciplines within law that you could have focused on, what 
brought you to immigration law? Uh, I did a lot of translating at my church in Indianapolis, and um, family is the most important thing to me. And I just wanted to make sure families got to stay together, and I didn't understand why people got to stay and why people had to leave, and it made me angry. So when you get angry, you learn and you fix it, right? (laughs) Um, So it's just been a fire that's been growing ever since. Nick Kamm also joins us. Nick? Yes, I'm Nick Kamm. I'm the uh, founder and president of a communications firm called Reputation Partners, and we specialize, as you can imagine from our name, in all manners of reputation for companies, for not-for-profits, for universities, and so forth. So it's all about building reputation, protecting it, rebuilding it after a crisis. I'm a longtime political junkie. I'm actually on the board of the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library Foundation as well, so deep interest in all of these issues. Peter Hanna joins us. Peter? Uh, I'm an attorney um, focusing on privacy, cybersecurity, and intellectual property. Um, I've done a great deal of immigration advocacy in my pro bono work in the past. Um, I'm also an adjunct professor of law at Chicago-Kent College of Law, and I work a lot with the ACLU of Illinois and serve as the president of the ACLU Next Generation Society. The last time you were on this program, you mentioned that you immigrated from Egypt. Yeah. And like a lot of young people, such as yourself, your parents may not be in sync with your politics. And you were sharing during the break that uh, your father has a different perspective, uh, having come to this country, and mm-hmm. how – tell us – about that, because I, I think a lot of people are going to nod their head and say, I, you know, my parents feel the same way. Yeah. Or my children feel the same way. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate because they've gotten to see and experience and live sort of both sides of the, you know, immigration, um, you know, divide. You know, my family had, uh, we lived in Egypt where there is very limited to no religious freedom and, you know, political freedom. Um, and, uh, you know, as my father likes to say, we did it, you know, the, you know, by the books. We, applied for the uh, lottery, which, of course, is under attack now. Um, we had one family member here who was willing to be our sponsor. You know, my father moved to America by himself, kind of got a job as an engineer. Both my parents are engineers. My background is also in engineering. Um, set up shop for a year, and then, you know, my mom and I moved there uh, to join him a year later, and my sister was born in uh, Brooklyn a couple years after that. Um, but as an attorney, you know, formerly working at a private law firm, I did a great deal of immigration advocacy, uh, including a number of asylum cases, you know, removal proceedings. Um, and I got to see that, you know, even though my family had it a little bit rough, obviously, where we were and limited freedom, um, we did not have it anywhere near as rough as some of the folks who now show up at the border and file, you know, seek asylum here. People, and I mentioned also during the break that I represented a Honduran woman who was shot by, you know, gang-owned police force at a red light. Um, again, you know, we had it kind of tough in Egypt growing up. Uh, my father certainly did and had limited options, but nowhere near as bad as some of the folks who, who come here seeking basically to save their lives from an imminent threat. Also joining us is Mike Corman. Mike, tell everybody who you are. Uh, thanks, Bruce. Uh, I am a retired Navy man, spent 25 years uh, in the service. I've been in, con- in the construction business uh, as an executive now for the last number of years. I've been in construction really for 30 years. Uh, I'm on the Glenview Plan Commission in the community of Glenview where I reside with my wife and uh, my awesome daughter, Sophia. And also Operation Iraqi Freedom and Desert Storm and a Bronze Star recipient. So yes, sir. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Uh, I want to ask you a question because one of the perceptions of those coming to the country from Central America or Mexico is they take uh, low-paying jobs, and uh, that's where they stay. But yet when I walk by a a construction site, I frequently see people who look like they could be from any of those areas. And as far as I know, people who work construction make pretty good money. So you've been in the construction business doing project management for 20 years. How prevalent are illegal immigrants 
in that field? Uh, I would say it's very prevalent, especially uh, on the non-union side or the merit shop side. Uh, I hear I hear many more stories along those lines. Uh, I previously was an executive with Target, and that was a question that we would ask our contractors uh, when they were working for us is to make sure that everything was done by the book the right way. But I think it's very prevalent, especially in those trades such as uh, landscaping or uh, dirt work or those sorts of things that it's frankly hard to find uh, uh, native uh, labor that wants to actually do that work. What is someone, someone that's working construction, uh, what are they making these days? I mean, what, what, what's, a, what's a starting wage for someone? Let's say someone comes into the country uh, and let's say they're from Mexico or from Guatemala. They come into the country, they go to a, they go to a, a work s- spot, and they get hired. What are they going to make? What are they make a work a week? Well, if the if the person that they're working for is is uh, someone that uh, cares about people and does the right thing, they could make anywhere from ten to twenty dollars an hour as a laborer. Uh, you'll often see outside of Home Depot's, Lowe's, other uh, yep. stores where there are are men and women just sitting waiting for someone to pick them up to come and do work at their home or work at a job site. Uh, so ten to twenty, and then if you get skilled, you can uh, earn a lot more than that, especially in this economy with the way construction is right now. Do you believe that well, one of the things I said a couple of weeks ago is that I felt that with the, with the House going through uh, trying to come up with, with an answer, the House Republicans, which they were going to do it a couple of weeks ago. I mean, they've been pushing it down. They've been kicking it down uh, the, you know, the road for the last couple of weeks. And I want to get your reaction about House Republican reaction to that, uh, Nick. But uh, I said that if you don't have E-Verify as a mandatory part of that legislation, you're not serious about solving the problem. Do you agree or disagree with that? Well, we, ha- we have E-Verify now, and it, it is less than spectacular in the enforcement. I can tell you that every job I've had, I've had to produce two or three pieces of documentation without question. But I don't think that every employer, for example, the one – the. Uh, 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 folks that are picking up workers outside of Home Depot, they're not going to care about E-Verify. What's the, what's, the, uh, what's the criteria? So you're saying everybody has to have E-Verify now? Uh, large employers, I believe it's 50-plus. Someone 50 could correct plus. me, but I think okay. it's 50-plus employ- uh, employees. They have to have E-Verify. And in, you, know, you have to have a, a driver's license, usually uh, either a passport or a military ID or some other. It's more than one piece of documentation. And if you don't have it, how, how, what's the penalty? Well, for, for the companies that I've worked for, you can't be hired without it. Okay. And Nick, where do, where do you come down on E-Verify? I mean, this is, you know, the perception of the Republicans being the, the big bad ogres. I mean, one of the other perceptions is that they're the big, you know, business people, mm-hmm. and they're just trying to make a buck, and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll squeeze employees at any level. And if you had E-Verify, maybe that would be a, a, a signal by government that that's not going to be tolerated anymore. And when, and when they have these raids where they pick up illegal immigrants, maybe they should be taking the bosses away in handcuffs as well. Mm-hmm. Well, it may come down to that. Uh, I, I should it? I wouldn't be surprised if it did. Well, and, and again, should they be taken off in handcuffs if they're hiring, if they're knowingly hiring illegal uh, immigrants? Yeah. Probably, yes. I mean, again, it doesn't make sense I to say just, absolutely yes. Yeah, I think it doesn't make sense to target the illegal immigrant only and then the people who are knowingly hiring them uh, get off scot-free. Where does that fit into, so, your, into your concern about the whole issue? So, I mean, um, so part of this idea of, like, ICE will um, conduct I-9 audits and investigate, and there are actually very, very hefty fines involved um, if you're not compliant with your I-9s. 
Um, and then if and then you do either have to dismiss the workers or get fined more. Um, <clears throat> and then there are certain I nine issues that you can correct. There are certain I nine issues that you can't correct, and then there are fines for that as well. Um, so is they don't paying, get off scot free. Is, is paying the fine, however, to some businesses just the cost of doing business? I mean, paying the fines for some business cripples the business. <clears throat> If they're you're, that you're nodding your head oh, a uh, different way. Well, no, for some businesses, yeah, paying the fine is ultimately going to be worth the cost of doing businesses. But I think, like Ellie said, for some, paying the fine would literally cripple the business entirely. So, you know, ultimately, we want a system that makes sense, you know, on both sides. Why don't we, why don't we hear that complaint from the, the pro-immigration lobby? I mean, you're, you're part of it, uh, in essence, because of your passion for it. But why don't we hear that argument? That you know, pointing to the other side and generally the other side of the political aisle and say, you know what, if you folks weren't hiring, the folks that we represent wouldn't be coming up here from Guatemala. I mean, it's a really good question. I think, really, it's and let me know if you disagree, Kelly or, or anyone. Um, I think it's because there's so much else that's just in need of attention. There's, I mean, it's you can't you can't start looking at the small fire when there's you know an inferno. Um, well, around it, you. It speaks to the whole, I mean, the whole immigration issue is just such a mess. I mean, Absolutely. we've just, we spent the beginning part of your program focusing on one element. Of right. It. right. The entire thing Absolutely. is a complete mess and has been allowed to be a mess for 30 plus years. Our last major legislation that we had was in 1996. And that actually even made things an even bigger mess, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, think of things like the, uh, you know, the so-called like millionaire's visa, which, you know, that that's, I don't think that's been touched I mean, if you have a certain amount of money and you can sign off and say, basically, I'm going to spend this money in the United States, I think it's $500,000. or 500000 for certain target areas where there isn't a lot of industry and if um, there are jobs needed to be created. And then it's $1 million in non-target areas. And then they do several checks to make sure that the money is legitimately acquired. That's one thing that will get the visas held up a lot. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, th- something like that, that's, you know, it's just put enough money out there and, you know, welcome to the country. Um, but I think, it, like Nick said, the entire system needs to be overhauled, rethought, but it's so politically charged of an issue that no one wants to touch it. I mean, here in America, one of the big blessings that we have is we are geographically isolated. And I mean, it's a big border, but we only have really one border to worry about with really one country. And we still can't get it right down there um and we still can't get the laws around how we process those folks right mm-hmm. um you know we're not in a situation like you know in the heart of europe in germany or elsewhere where they have numerous shared borders where people are coming in from any one of them and i mean we have it we have it pretty nice here but we still can't get our act together we've got a pause i got a pause i want to get back to 1-800-723-8229 we got a phone caller on the line and bring them into the conversation when we come back i'm bruce dumont thanks for joining us tonight Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. 
Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton, Los Angeles, Universal City. At HiltonUniversal.com, they let you be the star in Hollywood. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks for joining us tonight. Let's go to calls. Let's go to Alan listening to us on KLBJ in Austin, Texas. Go ahead, Alan. Uh, yeah, I have this theory or this suspicion that uh, this whole thing is being this parade of human beings from Central America, low-skilled people, are being it's a primarily a Democrat strategy funded in the United States, intelligence in the United States. They're getting all these, they, they want to flood the United States with low-skilled people who will vote Democrat. And many districts, uh, a few thousand votes here, uh, you know, will tip the thing to the Democrat candidate. So I think this whole thing... But, uh, Alan, let me ask you this question. Some of the people, uh, or, or the people that are coming here, that are coming here illegally... Uh, technically, they can't vote. Uh, again, you may think that in some jurisdictions around the United States, I know a lot of Republicans think that, that they may be able to vote, and maybe they can. But generally speaking, those people cannot vote. If someone comes here and seeks asylum, now let me ask this question, and I'm asking our guests now. If someone is seeking asylum, how long does it take them if they want to be a citizen? If everything goes well with the immigration court and your judge doesn't retire and you don't have to change venue because your case starts at a border, best case scenario, your asylum case is going to take about four years. If you win, you have to be a, you can file for your green card one year after you have that asylum grant, and then you have to actually have your green card for five years before you file for citizenship. And right now, the backlog to get the green card in Chicago is probably eight to ten months. And there's also a huge backlog for citizenship. So, so again, that, that's a long that, plan. That's a ten. <laughs> that's a ten-year plan, and that's for people who've come here uh, and, and sought, uh, you know, asylum. So, the 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 numbers that you see may not become voters uh, very quickly, Alan. That may be a that may be a fact that you have to consider, if at all, because the majority of asylum seekers wind up being deported. Yeah. Right. And, and my question to you, one of the questions that I ask is that one of the complaints about people who come here either illegally or asylum, once they go before a judge, a big concern is that they don't show up for their court date. Is, isn't, that a, isn't that a real issue? Well, if you look at alternatives to detention, um, it's, I would say, between, I've seen various studies that put the appearance rate between 94 and 96 percent. Um, on that docket, and it's also close to that if a person has an attorney, whether you're an asylum seeker or not. Um, so that's really, I mean, if you let people be released, get an attorney, and not be in a hostile jurisdiction in a remote area, yeah. they are. What about up. because it's being used in the criminal justice system? Why not take everyone who is supposed to be returning to court? Why not give them an ankle bracelet? They do that, actually. Where? How, That's very how, common. How widespread well, is that? Not as common as I would like. Um, and that was more okay. common under the Obama administration. And I think that's a piece that's missing from this debate, though. Um, so There's One piece of legislation that's pending in Washington at the moment that has that. I think it's a, uh, it may be a Democrat-sponsored, but it seems to me that that's a, 
That's a simple answer. Now, granted, it costs money. You've got to monitor that. But again, it's being used, it's being held as this panacea in the criminal justice field. It seems to me that it should be held in that high esteem. It does cost money, right? But so does detaining people. So if you're looking at private adult facilities, because these are private for-profit prisons, it costs about $134 a day to detain an adult. In the family setting, you're looking at um, Dilly being larger is a little more expensive. That's close to $300 a day. The other smaller family detention settings are 266 to $240 a day, <clears throat> give or take, because detaining children is expensive. And if you're talking about these tent cities that we have right now with the kids, just the kids, um, the Office of Health and Human Services is putting that at 775 bucks a kid per night. But I, I would I would object to you know putting ankle bracelets on folks who seek asylum because that's not a criminal proceeding when you seek asylum. Um, you haven't committed a crime. You're presenting yourself at port of entry. You're asking for refugee status. What about illegal entry? So I mean, if you're entering illegally and you don't have an asylum claim and you just you know we're yeah. trying to get past the border, I mean, I think then you've committed a crime. You've broken a law, um, and you know I think. Maybe in those small number of cases, you could proceed differently. But I think for the for in the asylum so, context, and it's traumatizing too, right? Like these people, especially these women, if, like in the cases of women, which is the majority of my um, my clients, um, you know, they flood this terrible situation, and now you're running around with an anklet, and how? And even if you have your work permit, like how do you explain that to an employer? Like I swear, boss, like I don't have this anklet on because it's a stigma. I stole something. But one thing they used to do. A lot more is um, that I don't see now. I mean, some jurisdictions are reporting this happens, whereas if the person does go, they show up to a couple of court hearings, their application is on file, then they have actually removed them in the past. But that's not as common anymore either. Yeah. And, and just to add one, one last point on this, Bruce, I mean, I think at the end of the day, if you're applying for asylum, it really behooves you to show up to your you know, hearings and, you know, to file everything in a timely manner, because frankly, you're going to have, you know, a few years because that's how backed up the system is to, you know, become, you know, a member of society and kind of help and contribute in a way. So really behooves folks to, that's why the percentages are so high, 94, 96%. We don't have people, you know, passing credible fear hearing and then going off the grid. That's just not common. By the way, uh, Alan, if you're still on the line, uh, you know, you talked about uh, how the Democrats might want to use this uh, illegal immigrants uh, to uh, bring more people from Central America uh, that would vote Democratic. You know, a simpler way and probably a less expensive way is if the Democrats wanted to move 10 or 20,000 people from California to Wisconsin or Michigan <laughs> or Ohio, uh, that would do it as well. And, you know, George Soros could probably pay for it. Uh, in hour number one, we are through. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, if you're listening to us on radio, we'll be back for another full hour. If you're leaving us tonight for television, we'll see you next week.
If you look hard enough, go off the beaten track far enough, you'll find an America teeming with the unusual, the odd, the downright strange. I'm Will Klinger, and I'm your guide on a package tour we like to call Wild Travels. Join us on our weekly road trip to see America's most offbeat and unusual attractions. Wild Travels, available on your local PBS station. Or it darn well should be. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live. The experience. For the first time ever, get an inside look at the making of SNL. Critics nationwide are raving over 500 artifacts direct from the show. Be a part of Wayne's World, Weekend Update, and so much more. Experience all it takes to put the show together. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications at 360 North State Street in Chicago. For tickets, visit museum.tv. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida, so why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sit cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. At HiltonUniversal.com, they let you be the star in Hollywood. Live from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics. Featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by immigration attorney Kelly Fennell, Peter Hanna, adjunct professor of law at the Kent College of Law, Nick Calm, Republican and founder of the Reputation Partners, and Mike Corman, Master Chief Petty Officer, U.S. Navy Retired. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 
723-8289. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. You want to tweet me a comment, it's Dumo. Tweet at Dumo, at D-U-M-O, and you can join us on the World Wide Web, beyondthebeltway.com, and, of course, on our website uh, or on our Facebook page, uh, Bruce Dumont, Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont, and that's live. You get the live portion. You can also respond uh, at the Facebook as well. Well, the President of the United States uh, tomorrow night is going to make a big decision at 8 o'clock Central Time. Uh, He allegedly has narrowed down the choices for the U.S. Supreme Court to four, including one woman. And uh, those choices, as of the moment, are Amy uh, Coney Barrett, and she is from Notre Dame University, Raymond uh, Catheridge, Brett Kavanaugh, and Thomas Hardiman is a new name that sort of popped up in the last couple of uh, days. And uh, I want to ask all of our guests, starting with you, uh, Nick, uh, you are not an attorney, but you're a Republican. Who do you think he is going to pick and why? Oh, this is fascinating, the whole thing. I've been following it very, very closely. They've been looking at it in sort of a three-dimensional chess sort of way. I think a smart move would be to go with Barrett because she's a woman and because it would sort of smoke out sort of the anti-Catholic sentiment that she faced when she was uh, nominated just last year. But do you want to save her for when Ruth Bader Ginsburg exits in one way, shape, or form or another? I think... I, I, my bet at this point, if I were having to put money down, I would say it's going to be Kavanaugh. Uh, Kavanaugh, because he, even though he is a creature of Washington, he is generally a more reliable uh, uh, justice on immigration issues and so forth. There have been some questions raised about Kethledge on some of those decisions as well. Barrett, both being a woman and being newly minted into the court uh, system, uh, I think suggests that. Hardem in a late entry, but I'd say Kavanaugh if I were going to bet. Kelly Fennell, you're a Democrat. You're an attorney. Um, <clears throat> who do you think the president's going to pick? I mean, you're I, not going to like any of them. but Probably not. <laughs> but although Gorsuch has pleasantly surprised me a few times. Um, so I, I would like. I, I think I agree with your assessment. I wouldn't be surprised if he did pick Barrett because she is a woman, and I think that'd be good PR for the administration. Um, I mean, also I think all of them have been around a long time. They all have, you know, I think fairly impressive resumes, even if I personally don't agree with them. Um, the one thing with um, Kavanaugh, is, though, that concerns me is that he, I think he's very closely linked to Bush, and I don't know if that will be a problem. Mm. Yeah, I think that could be a problem for him. Mike Corman joins us. Mike, uh, what do you think? Uh, I actually have been thinking Barrett for quite a while since her name uh, came up, both uh, from the Catholic side. I am Catholic, so that is something that resonates with me. But that she's a woman. I think it's important to have a conservative woman on the court. We haven't had one in many, many years since Sandra Day O'Connor. And I think it's important that we make that uh, statement. Certainly uh, with the Me Too movement and the things that are happening in our current culture, I think it would be an important message. Peter Hanna, you're also one of our Democrats this evening. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the choices are all, um, there are many better choices, um, Merrick Garland being one, obviously. Um, I, you know, my, my view is that, you know, all four of these are, um, you know, not necessarily going to be good folks to step into the seat that uh, Justice Kennedy has uh, vacated. Um, my guess is that uh, it'll be, um, you know, Kavanaugh are kind of concurring with you guys. Uh, Barrett's putting a woman on the bench is uh, at least, uh, you know, some some small, you know, step towards uh, progress and being more kind of reflective of what the country looks like. But yeah, on the whole, I'm, I'm not particularly pleased with any of these choices, and I think they're all going to be uh, bad for the court. Yep. Well, one thing is that a uh, couple of weeks ago, or last week, uh, Amy Barrett, was she was the belle of the ball. 
but then in the last 48 hours, the story is that maybe her conversation with the president didn't go well. And, and, and Hardiman, whose name was not even in the big three, he's you know, popped onto that list. So uh, the president and also allegedly uh, the, uh, Mike, um, uh, McC- Mitch McConnell has said that she would probably be a lightning rod and might be the most difficult to get through the Senate. There's, but there's, you know, it's interesting if you watched the procedure with uh, Gorsuch as well. There's a little bit of head faking that goes on. There's a lot of stuff that can be legitimately criticized about how the Trump administration does things. But how they've gone about coming up with this list of 25 justices or 20 that they then added the, the list to even before he was inaugurated, even before the election, in terms of who he would pick, and the fact that 25 to 30 percent of voters voted for him specifically because he would then have the opportunity to pick mm-hmm. Supreme Court justices. So my point is, I think there's a little bit of head faking maybe going on here. And whoever, it, to your point, Barrett was the bell of the ball and the favorite, and now she's moved aside. So people are looking at other people. They're expecting Kavanaugh, maybe Hardiman, because he's a late entry. They could come back and go, oh, it's Barrett. Trump likes to do that. Well, one of the things that was said on the show today is that uh, to be taken into consideration is that uh, uh, Hardiman uh, supposedly has been recommended uh, by Donald Trump's sister, who's also a judge uh, in, in New Jersey. And that that can't hurt his chances because he's the guy that's come in over the transom. And again, this was he on the list of 25, though? The I think federalist this is, list? Uh, it's from the Federal Society. And I think is I he, he on that list? On the list. I, okay. think, I think he was. And that, and that was the other point is that, again, it's going to be somebody from those 25. I thought. But Bar- the, the situation that that at least some of the political folks are saying is that Barrett would be the toughest because it's in your face that she's a Catholic. It's also, it's, it's going to take a Roe v. Wade and make it the dominant issue. I think it's the dominant issue regardless, no what, right. regardless. But last week we are two Democrats that were here last <clears throat> week said that they thought that, you know, she would be the toughest to defeat because she's a woman, because she's you know, Phi Beta Capital, because of all the, the obvious optics that, uh, uh, has. And again, it would help the president. And they also thought that it would be the one that would probably lock in the three Democrats, uh, who, uh, voters who are they're expecting to, to vote from red states. Uh, now, what it does to Susan Collins, it seems to me that Susan Collins and Susan Collins may be the toughest nut to crack in this. But if, if any vote. of these people, they need to be obviously very well prepared before they go in and to testify. And if and they're smart, they're going to yeah, exactly. They're going to keep their cards close <laughs> to the vest. And even if they're questioned on some of the earlier speeches that she's made and so forth to just present herself as keeping an open mind, that's going to put Collins and people like Manchin and Donnelly and the other vulnerable Democrats in a pretty tough box. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to say, I clerked for a federal judge, and I think, I mean, she was a district court judge, Judge Kathy Seibel in the Southern District of New York. And I could say that even, you know, at the district court level, you go into these hearings ultra-prepared. Certainly at this level, you know, all the candidate, all the potential nominees are already ultra-prepared and have mastered the art of not answering, mm-hmm. um, you know, to Susan Collins. I think she's going to do what she's done in a number of other cases, which is sort of make motions and you know, noises that she's going to vote one way, but right. inevitably come back around to vote. Well, but she, all she has to do is give the same answer that Ruth Bader Ginsburg gave, right? She avoided that question. And if it's all right for a liberal to avoid well, that question, why isn't it all right for a conservative to avoid it? I'm not saying it's not right. All right. Logical point. We've got to be back. 1-800-723-8029. If you have questions about that, I uh, want to weigh in on the Supreme Court choice. Give us a call. And also... You know, the big news out of New York today is that Hillary Clinton might be secretly planning a comeback 
in 2020. I want to hear from all the Democrats that think that's a great idea. (laughs) Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. We're going to take a call in just a moment. But uh, uh, we're, we're, the other vote that we're not talking about is uh, we've got to come up with the votes and, and, you know, what John McCain would do. If, if John McCain is able to go and vote, uh, you know, would he, would he stick it to Donald Trump one more time? I think yes. He is all about the dramatic entrance. Oh, yeah, and, the and exit. Look at me, look at me, entrance and exit, and look at me. Again, war hero, obviously, Tremendous service there that we all have to recognize and the POW and lifetime of service to this country. And absolutely, we take our hats off to him. But in terms of how he operates, the Maverick label that he has attached to himself hasn't always been deployed in the most noble of ways. Let's put it that way. Okay. So what do you think? Well, um, I have I have a lot of admiration for uh, Senator McCain and and his service, obviously to nation um, and and Straight Talk Express. I supported him when he ran for president. I donated money and time and uh, resources to help get him elected. So I'm a big. I've always been a big fan. Um, you know, uh, I think he's always been a straight talking senator, um, and I think uh, he's willing to speak his mind at times. Well, you know, I, I've told this story on the air. I'm gonna I'll, I'll keep it brief. But I used to be a huge John McCain fan. John McCain actually told me once that he used to listen to this show. We used to be on in, in Arizona. And, uh, and, he, and he has been a guest on this show, basically phone interviews on, on a number of occasions, including when he was running for president. But I went out and covered his campaign uh, on the Straight Talk Express when he was running against George Bush. And I, I spent a day on the bus with John McCain listening to him chat with the reporters on the bus, listening to him at, at uh, stump speeches. And you know what? After that experience, I didn't like John McCain anymore. <clears throat> John McCain, uh, at least what I saw, was, was not... First of all, he was making a lot of mistakes that the reporters ignored. Hmm. Every mistake that Bush made was a big story. So the, the love affair of the national media to protect John McCain. I saw it firsthand. And also, it seemed to me like he's a lot of you, like a lot of U.S. senators. After he gives the first line of his stump speech, there is no follow-up. He can't tell you with the next sentence or the next paragraph <coughs> how he's going to do anything. He's just, he's, <coughs> he's hot air. 
He's hot air, and he's an e- I think he's an egomaniac, frankly. A lot of senators are. But my, I used to, I, I thought that, uh, you know, Bob Dole, you know, should have picked him as his running mate in, in, in 76 or 96 because I thought he, I was a huge fan of John McCain's for all of the obvious reasons that everybody knows. But having spent time with him, no, I've, I've not been a John McCain fan for, for quite some time. And again, I think, uh, you know, uh, what's happening in, in Arizona, supposedly his wife is going to be appointed to replace him. I don't like that idea, whether it's a Republican or Democrat. I don't like the idea that a, that a spouse or a relative of someone is, is appointed to fill out a seat like the United States Senate. And obviously uh, uh, the people of Arizona, you know, they don't know whether Jeff Flake Jeff Flake is leaving, too, so there there may be more Republican votes to round up than they think, but I also think there's going to be a lot of Democrats uh, who are from red states, and I think they're going to, you know, they're going to, they'll they'll move over and they'll they'll support the president's choice. I think Doug Jones in Alabama is going to go whoever, he's running for re-election himself, Bobby Manchin, yeah, Yeah, and and Joe Joe Donnelly within our, within our our sound of our voice tonight. So anyway, that's our our thought. I want to get, I want to get back to uh, uh, the question about, uh, about Hillary Clinton. Uh, you're both Democrats. You're both young Democrats. What do you think about the future of your party right now? Who is your leader? Who is your leader, Kelly? Wow. I'll let Kelly I think right now there's a lot of disorganization, and I don't know that we really have one strong leader that's like, yes, this is the person for 2020. I think if Hillary runs for president again, I, I don't think she's going to win. Yeah. Um, I think that's something all of Would us you at this want table her to probably run? agree. No. No, I wanted her to run. No, and I frankly, you know, I had a lot of uh, hesitation or trepidation about her running, you know, in 2016 as well. For Bernie, I voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary, um, and I think you know Kelly and I, looking at each other as you ask that question, is kind of a testament. It's like a microcosm of the broader discussion within the party, which is really, you know, where is the leadership? Where is the center of the leadership? And right now, it's kind of um, up for grabs, and it's it's one of the problems I think that has plagued the Democratic Party for many, many years. And I think, you know, Republicans have been much better at. Republicans will rally around, you know, who they need to rally around, when they need to rally around that person or that issue at the right time. And I think in the Democratic side, you tend to, you know, have a lot more kind of discussion, a lot more fragmentation. um, And, you know, obviously the results uh, speak for themselves at this point. It's so funny to hear you say that, though, because my impression as a Republican of the Democratic Party is the amount of unity and discipline you have is something that the Republicans totally lack. Mm. We, I mean, it's It's it's, totally inverted. No, it doesn't seem. I mean, it really seems quite upside down from what you're talking about. As as long as the opponent is Trump, that's what that's what draws the Democrats together. Flake, Corker, a lot of the other the Republican Party is pulling against itself. A lot. And obviously the yeah. Democratic Party did with the uh, Bernie versus Hillary. But thing. again, yeah. people, you, you've got to look also, you look at, at the, the, the level of rhetoric that Donald Trump used in the primary. He had a scorched earth oh, policy yeah. in the primary. And that's why Flake and these other people don't like him and Corker yeah. don't like him. They, they, Jeb Bush. You know, and, well, well, yeah. And, and, the, and I, you know, yeah. The, the point is that one of these candidates is, is close to, you know, President Bush. So that, that, that may get him off the list, you know. Yeah. And I think part of the problem with the Democratic Party party is no one knew what the heck to do after Hillary lost. Yeah. Right? I don't I mean a lot of people didn't see I I honestly think Donald Trump didn't see that coming. Yeah. Oh no, I mean if you yeah, if if you read some of the accounts there was uh, widespread disbelief after the results came in. But you know, putting that aside, one the one thing I think Trump has done for the the Democratic Party is it's 
is he's and what he's you know doing is kind of liberated a lot of the folks who are part of the establishment to be tr- very sincere about what you know they want, and that's why we've seen some you know that like the, the Crowley election or the Crowley you know failure, yeah. obviously. Um, people are coming out and they're kind of being more direct about, you know, maybe more, even farther left or more liberal policies. And there's not that constant hand wringing and sort of like run the party by polls and results and try to get to the center. So I think it's actually slowly kind of liberating the, you know, what I think will really define the party in the future. But do you think a poll further left in the Democratic Party is a ticket to, to win the election? I think so, to be honest with you, because, I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, what, what did we see on, in, on the right or what did Republicans do? They really, I mean, even within the Republican Party, I think there's a split because there's the, the folks who, I mean, have to just hold their nose every time Donald Trump shows his face or opens his mouth, but they still do. And, you know, they're just kind of biding their time. And then there are the folks who I think honestly have made Trump into almost like a, you know, like a cult-like leader um, who are just kind of, you know, this happens in a lot of the smaller elections, local elections, where you have people who are, you know, just fighting over each other to be more in line with President Trump. Um, so I think because he is delivering, he is delivering on every single promise that he said. Yes, he really is. Well, and, and, and you know, and there's a lot of people who are independents who like the fact that, you know, you're really not surprised. The only people that are ever surprised by Donald Trump are the news media. There are several Republicans out there that are that I'm friends with that are shocked that he's delivering on his promises because he would say these things and like, well, yes. he really won't do that. Well, it, well I know, but is, they, is, is yeah. that a negative? That's a negative for them. Well, think, yeah. But they disagree with the yeah. policy. But right. the point think is, about the Muslim man, for example. Yes. Right? We heard about that all through the campaign trail. He called it that, and I mean. Step one was to stop calling. It. Yeah, so he's <laughs> stop calling that, which, you know, of course, the candidate's different from the president. Right. Yeah. But it took three tries. And I mean, if you actually look at the, the what the Supreme Court upheld, it is I mean, I think it's still terrible. And I agree with everyone in the dissent, uh, Justice Kagan and all the points you made. But it's it's a watered down joke of a version of the Muslim ban. It really effectively keeps out folks from five countries, not the biggest Muslim countries, and, you know, has like a ton of loopholes. And if you actually look at it, it's, it should be called the Iran ban because it disproportionately affects Iranians, which are the most populous of the countries that are limited. So you could say he delivered on that promise, but in a way he absolutely didn't. And I think you find that if you look a little bit deeper in a lot of what he's promised. He is going to get a Republican primary challenge. Don't you believe with that, no. Mike? Oh, I do. Um, I think there will be somebody that steps up. Yeah, I could see uh, uh, Kasich uh, stepping up. Uh, he is, Flake. Uh, um, Flake is not as national a name. Kasich's run a national yeah. campaign before. He's well-known, well-regarded. Um, How about Paul Ryan? That's a sort of – I have a pet theory that that no. was his no. thinking. I know, no. Paul. I, I don't think he would no. do that. I don't, I don't think he's going to get it. I really don't think he's really? going to get primary. Nope. But one, one because, thing- of, because of the scorched earth approach that he used in the primaries. So it's one thing to have somebody running against him in an open primary, which it was in 2016. Running against the sitting president, we should ask the late, great Ted Kennedy about how well that yeah. worked yeah. out. Right? Yeah, the optics are different for Air Force One pulling into yeah. your airport. Oh, I do want to go back to something about you talked about with the election. You know, Since the passage of the Affordable Care Act, the Democrats have lost seat after seat after <coughs> House after House after Senate after Senate. It has just been – if you look at the statistics, they're staggering – with the number of offices <coughs> held statewide, national, that they've lost since then. Uh, and I look back to that passage with no Republicans as a keystone moment in the Democratic Party history because Republicans have been able to run against that big government strategy and still are. 
What do they get? Although we haven't been, the Republicans have not been able to do much about. That's the one thing that Trump has clearly not been delivered able to. on. Well, he said yeah, he's, in the last twenty four hours they came out and said that they're going to they're going to stop the progress payments. Right. Yeah. The you know, that's ten billion dollars. Right. That's not going to go. That it, it, it's hard for me to imagine that the ACA in its current form survives the withdrawal of those subsidies. But if he's hoping for the Congress to be able to pull together and do the right thing to really fix health care again, look at immigration. No, to see no, how well, that's yeah. No, the fact that the Republicans have been able to do nothing on illegal immigration in the wake of some of the worst optics that Republicans have had to deal with, with children at the border being torn uh, away from their families. I mean, if, if they if they can't get uh, get quorum to well, agree I mean, on something at that point. He's holding agreement hostage for the stupid wall. That's the problem. Yeah. And the point is, the point is, why don't you just give them the wall? Because give it's a waste wall. of money. No, but, but, you know, but there's, there's a lot of things that government yeah, yeah. does that are a waste of money. Give them his wall. And, and, and free up the dreamers. Yeah, but it I think it's like that's a, a simple one. I've got to pause. I want to get your response when yeah. we come back. I say, build the wall. Back shortly. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida. So why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sip cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Uh, recently, Jim Jordan, a Republican from Ohio, who is uh, destined to be, perhaps, at least in his mind, uh, maybe Speaker of the House uh, someday. At least uh, that was his thought maybe a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he was the star of the uh, hearing along with uh, uh, Congressman Gowdy in really going after Rod Rosenstein uh, in the testimony before uh, the U.S. House uh, Committee along with the head of the FBI. Uh, during that time, I mean, it was really a, a devastating hearing. If you, if you did not watch it, it's still available on C-SPAN. It's something you really should watch because it was good, uh, good congressional drama. But in the wake of that, uh, charges have come uh, from against uh, Congressman Jordan by uh, alleged uh, or wrestlers uh, who used to wrestle with him when he was an assistant coach at Ohio. They have alleged that during the time when Jim Jordan was an assistant wrestling coach, that there was a, a doctor who was assigned to uh, Ohio State Athletics and that he engaged in improper uh, groping of young men over a long period of time. They have charged Jim Jordan with having an awareness of that. Jim Jordan has vehemently denied it, including in a, in a very long and I think a very good interview with Brett Baer last week. Uh, so I, I want to ask my question uh, uh, to you, uh, Nick, because you the name of your company is Reputation Partners. Mm-hmm. You deal with dicey things. I don't know whether you've any, dealt with anything this dicey mm-hmm. before. But here you have one of the most well-known members of Congress, 
certainly a darling of the conservative movement. Serious charges have been made against him. What do you make of the charges and the way that Representative Jordan is responding to these devastating attacks? Well, I think the first thing I would say is that he's responding in the only way he knows how, which is basically, as you said, the vehement denial. I think the the real issue here is you've got two very strong countervailing activities happening. On the one hand, the timing with the hearings that you were talking about, the speculation that he's going to be or would be the next Speaker of the House, the timing of these things coming forward is highly, highly suspect. And I think that undermines the credibility of them in a pretty significant way. On the other hand, though, you've got a number of these former wrestlers who presumably have no axe to grind who are coming forward and saying, yep, this is happening. So I think it becomes very, very difficult. I think it becomes, in the era of Me Too, in the era of appropriate sensitivity about these issues, in the, Larry, in the wake of the Larry Nasser case and some of the other cases, I think it is very difficult for him to have any semblance of uh, aspirations for higher office. Mike, what's your reaction? Yeah, I agree. I, I think, uh, you know, I look back to Speaker Hastert and the, the charges with him as also a wrestling coach uh, and the issues at Penn State, the issues at uh, Michigan State, now Ohio State. Uh, I think, uh, frankly, I think he's now radioactive um, in, in this era where uh, we're in such a charged environment where kids are not being properly cared for at the university level. Uh, I think m- m- my suspicion is that Uh, Unless these are proven to be completely false, he is probably not going to be speaker or any other or hold any other high office. But a public public official who's charged, how do you feel about a public figure who's charged, whose (coughs) reputation is being destroyed, uh, you know, on network television newscasts? I mean, I would say as a public official, you're going to be held to a higher standard. Um, You know, you're not it's no longer are you guilty? Are you convicted beyond reasonable doubt? Um, You have a duty to your constituents. You have a duty to your colleagues in the House, the representatives, or or the Senate if it's the Senate. Um, And I think you also have a duty to to defend yourself and stand before cameras and explain yourself, as as, uh, Representative Jordan did um, with uh, Brett Baer, as you mentioned. Um, One of the things, and I agree with with both of your distinguished guests here completely, but one of the things that stands out to me is, um, you know, there's like this almost like strident insistence that he had zero knowledge or zero idea um, that any of this was occurring, which, you know, I think is, uh, you know, left me a little bit incredulous. And, you know, I think we heard, and I, I totally agree, unless there's a complete exoneration, like it's a grand conspiracy or something, I think he's, he is pretty radioactive. Kelly? Completely agree. I find it um, difficult to believe that if it was as widespread as the allegations are that he knew nothing. So I don't know that that is going to be credible. So unless he is completely exonerated... And completely cleared. I don't think he has any hope for higher office. But we either. don't. But we don't know yet whether 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 it was widespread. The accuser has said that it's been widespread. Precisely. Uh, I, I, there may have been there may have been a second accuser. Well, there's now seven. Several. Seven. But, seven. But I, I'm, I'm just dealing with the issue of uh, the accusations. Yes, the number is large, but the question is whether or not it was it was a widespread how widespread was it and was it was it something that they joked about in the in the locker room uh you know or is it something that uh you know uh, let's let's ask let's ask Senator Al Franken how easy it is to overcome something like yeah, that. that's I, right I yeah. think and that seven, was a mi- really minor seven right. coming yeah. forward is pretty good indication of a widespread problem because it is very difficult 
for someone to come forward and report something like that. And I mean, usually you have one person come forward first and then more people are able to do that. So if seven people are accusing him of this and of what knowledge. they're saying is Not of, of knowledge, it. of knowledge, yeah. right. Of knowledge. Correct. Thank you. Of knowledge. Well, here's a question that I have about in, in all these cases. And this is another example. Uh, this is something that, that allegedly took place uh, over 10 years ago. By the way, the allegations are that all basically members of uh, of collegiate sports at, at uh, Ohio State were involved. I mean, over 2,500 different athletes, allegedly. Uh, there are seven that have come forward that have said that they believe that Coach Jordan should have known about this or did know about it. But I'm wondering if it's that widespread – and even with seven people widespread, does the fact that it's coming out now right. change the credibility of the story? Because the accuser, Mr. DeSabado, I mean, he referenced in, in one of his tweets, he talked about, and now you want to be Speaker of the House. I mean, he brought a political mm-hmm. element into it. And again, I'm going back to something that happened that 10 years ago. If you're a, if you're a college athlete, which are, what, <clears throat> you're 19, 20 years old? And and a, and a doctor grabs you in the wrong spot, and these are wrestlers or football players or basketball players. Isn't there a way to say, "Hey, stop it," and let people know about it? I mean, we're not we're not talking about little kids that are afraid to tell anybody. No, but if, you, if, big, I, if you've interacted with any Division One athletes yeah. and any teams there, there is a cohesion. That is, you know, they talk about the blue wall of silence among the police force. Yes, a code. It is, there is a code, 100%. absolutely. And you do not break that code, that hierarchy and all of that. And if it's a doctor who's considered to be part of that hierarchy, you don't speak out against it. But you brought up the point you made is right on, and the one I was making myself, which is <clears throat> the timing is highly suspicious. Yes. Why now? Why of all times now? It does undermine the credibility, but as I said a couple of minutes ago, on the one hand, you've got a question about the credibility because of the timing, but the preponderance of the evidence and the people who are speaking out and the fact that it's in an era where this is completely now unacceptable in every way, shape, or form, that's why he's radioactive to Mike. Well, and, and I think the Me Too movement has empowered many, many people that previously would never come forward. They now see that they won't be, uh, they won't have a scarlet letter assigned to them, yeah. that they can actually come and get the help that they need. <clears throat> the, the, the Catholic Church uh, issues that we've mm-hmm. seen over the last decade, we, we're seeing more and more people come forward. I'm shocked that these things are happening, um, but I'm glad that, that light is being shown on them so that we can protect young people. If he were a client of Reputation Partners, mm-hmm. uh, Nick, what advice would you be giving to the congressman? I would be encouraging him to take a look at how he can step aside at the appropriate time and in the appropriate way. Because step aside from Congress. Ultimately step aside from Congress, but certainly in the near term, I would say that I would encourage him to recuse himself from any consideration of speaker. I agree. Yeah. Agree. Everybody agree with that. Consensus. Let's go to David listening to us in San Francisco. Go ahead, David. Oh, well, thanks, Bruce. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was uh, interested in the Supreme Court, and yeah. uh, I, I'm old enough to remember when Jimmy Carter was in office. And uh, Jimmy Carter got in trouble because he was always taking advice from the Trilateral Commission. The Rockefellers were running America. That was the big fear. So now you look at Donald Trump, and he's taking advice from the Heritage Foundation. 
that he's got over 50 appointments from basically, you know, the pals of the previous Bush administration. Must be the Carl Rove and, and uh, Cheney are dancing uh, because the Heritage Foundation has not only gotten 50, 50 people in the executive branch, but Donald Trump's whole appointment list comes from the Heritage Foundation. So, uh, no, it comes from like, the Federalist Society. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. Federalist yeah, Society. Federalists. Right, yeah. So these Federalists, same Carl Rove, Dick Cheney group, uh, are, are not only appointing executive branch, but they're appointing judicial. So this is, uh, you know, more of the big money, old money, uh, man- managing America and playing a snake oil game on the, uh, the average voter. Nick, this is this is both parties, though. I mean, at the um, unions and the progressive movement have played a heavy role in Democrat uh, White Houses going back years and years. And both sides do it. But this is also this does bring up that this is why Trump won. This is why there was the support for Bernie Sanders that there was the kingmakers whether it's the Federalist Societies or the Heritage Foundations or the AFL-CIOs or whatever, this is what people, grassroots people, are rebelling against. This is how Trump became the nominee. This is how Bernie almost became the nominee. It's true, and I understand the caller's frustration. Do you personally think that this is a time, the question to you, and then we're going to break and then get your answer. Um, The president allegedly has been advised by Mitch McConnell that uh, maybe there's too much, that uh, Amy uh, uh, Barrett is too radioactive mm-hmm. and that maybe it would bring the discussion of abortion up and maybe you don't want to have that fight right now. If you were in the pro-life movement, mm-hmm. haven't you been waiting most of your life to have that knockdown, drag out public fight over the Supreme Court? And would it be a good idea? That's the question. We'll get everybody's response when we come back. My mother would call Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. At HiltonUniversal.com, they let you be the star in Hollywood. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. My question before the break was, if you're a, a you know a pro-life uh, person and you've been waiting years to have this thing settled and you want Roe v. Wade overturned, uh, do you like this opportunity uh, in a Supreme Court hearing to have a knockdown, drag-out discussion about the issue and get it out there? Donald Trump, you know, somebody said that Donald Trump wants to maybe shy away from a controversy. I don't, I don't think Donald Trump is the guy that wants to shy away from a controversy. And is this an issue in the court of public opinion that he can win? If this becomes an issue at the confirmation hearing, whoever it is he nominates, it's not going to go well for the Republicans. doesn't matter whether you are pro-life as I am and many other people are as well. It's just politically, again, 
as a practical matter, I think it's a loser. Yes, appoint a reliably conservative justice, for sure. Whether or not they should take on Roe v. Wade is another story. But if that becomes a focus of the hearing, that's bad for Republicans. Is it possible for this, is it possible for Amy Barrett to get through without it becoming the the, the cause celeb for her? Well, I think that's certainly that's what the what Democrats saying, are going yeah. to make it an issue. But again, as we were talking about in an earlier segment, she's hopefully going to be very prepared and be very circumspect with what she says about this topic, not giving a Susan Collins or a Lisa Murkowski or some of the other people who might be tempted to vote against her if she showed her cards. Kelly, what do you think about a knockdown dragout discussion right now during the... I, I think... Good? I don't know how anyone goes forward for the nomination process without this coming up. I mean, you know that the Democrats are going to ask that question. Someone's going to ask that question. It's, it's no. not a question of, what do I think about it? It's a question of, it's going to happen. Well, you have to practice avoiding the question, like we right. talked with Peter Exactly. Before. But, I mean, one thing is, you can be the best at avoiding something, but if you have someone harping at you or you have several people harping at you on the same point, even if you don't fold, I mean, sometimes you can read between the lines. So hopefully whoever it is is prepared if they want to get through, but I don't think it's going to be as easy as everyone thinks it is. Mike? Uh, well, I think a lot of justices uh, that have gone through the Senate have navigated these waters, and uh, nearly all of them have eventually been uh, approved by the Senate to take a seat on the bench. I think whoever the nominee is, they'll be well prepared. They will be uh, they'll be ready. And uh, I would be very surprised if this becomes a knockdown dragout fight in the Senate. Really? Okay, Peter. Yeah, I mean, I think this is really the whomever the eventual nominee is, it's it's theirs to lose, really. Mm. Um, something would have to go really, really bad, um, or they'd have to say something really sort of, you know, sound biteable that just goes viral for them to lose it. And I think you know the the le- the quality overall quality and experience of the judges that we're talking about here. These are really seasoned attorneys who have presided over you know, massive, you know, critical appeals. Um, they're all appellate lawyers with a lot of experience. I don't think they're going to make that mistake. So I don't, I don't expect it to be a drag out fight. I think maybe there are some Democrats who will try to make it that, but I don't think it'll have an impact That's unless it. they really self-destruct. That's it. No, exactly what you said. I think the Democrats will try to make it. Of course, they're going to try to make it an issue. It is the issue. Yeah. It is the big boogeyman now that the Supreme Court, they're going to put this. This is the last person. Kennedy was the swing vote. He's going away. Whoever it is that's appointed, Roe v. Wade is gone. Back alley abortions. That's, I mean, that's how they're raising money, as we were yep. talking about during the break. They're going to make it an issue. But as we've all been talking about, whoever it is is going to be prepared and careful enough that they're not going to get. You have to have two people engaged in it for it to be a fight. Yeah, and, and if, the, if the nominee is not engaged or just you know being very civil and polite and right. just demurring answers, you're not going to get the fight. But I would say the only other thing that I think might come up is uh, the Obergefell decision that obviously allowed, you know, people of the same gender to, to marry. And, you know, Kennedy was the critical vote there. So I think mm-hmm. if I had to guess, the Democratic strategy would be to kind of highlight the key swing votes that Kennedy made on social issues and just kind of pound them and hope that there is like a self-destruct moment, mm-hmm. um, which, I mean, stranger things about happened, but I, I, I would not but expect everyone's, it. The, the, everybody seems, at least those that, those that don't want to touch that third rail in this process are talking about precedent that you're going to look at the press. You want members of the court that are going to look at precedent. So they're going to say that, okay, Roe v. Wade, is, that's, that's, that's law. Gay marriage is, is law. Let's look at things in the future. Let's not try to undo things in the past. 
I think that's a, that's how they're going to try to get to Susan Collins. Except in the Janus, except in the Janus decision, they just reversed something that was only about thirty yep. some odd years ago. Right. Yep. In which Alito, I think, who wrote the majority opinion, said that was a badly decided case. So yes, precedent, precedent, precedent. Unless we think the precedent was bad, in which case, exactly. never mind. Do you think? Do you think any of the Supreme Court justices now seated would overturn gay same-sex marriage? I think they're going to view that as a settled. I think. I so think too. that's going to be precedent. It, I mean, Clarence part Thomas of it might is, be the only one. Uh, that's exactly who came to my mind. Yeah. But I, no, I think. I think that, it's settled. But whether it's on the abortion issue or the gay marriage issue, it's they do. They are mindful, and even look at how they ruled on ACA as well. They are mindful on the societal impact of their decisions. They may not necessarily be at the leading edge of them. Because, again, a number of states on the gay marriage issue had already uh, allowed gay marriage before mm-hmm. the Supreme Court made it the law of the land. So they're not exactly the, the trailblazer, but they are mindful of how things would go over in society at large in making their decisions, Peter, you, even you, though they say they're exclusively focused on the Constitution. And you can be mindful about precedent and not overturning it, but there are certain ways of carving out exceptions and chipping away at it. Mm-hmm. So, And I think that's a lot of where the conservatives and the Republicans are on the abortion front right now. Peter, and you think that Roe v. Wade will be overturned? I think, in, I mean, I think Roe v. Wade and, you know, Obergefell are obviously very different issues, very different cases, but I don't, I tend to think that in 18 months, yeah, I think Roe v. Wade may very well no longer be good law in America. Okay. On that note, Peter, thank you very much for being with us. Kelly, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Mike and Nick, we thank you all for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. Our thanks to Fritz Goldman and Dan Dorfman and Sam Greenberg for their assistance in the production of this program. I'm Bruce Dumont. We'll be back <coughs> next Sunday night at the same time. Until then, so long from Chicago. hard enough, go off the beaten track far enough, you'll find an America teeming with the unusual, the odd, the downright strange. I'm Will Klinger, and I'm your guide on a package tour we like to call Wild Travels. Join us on our weekly road trip to see America's most offbeat and unusual attractions. Wild Travels, available on your local PBS station. Or it darn well should be. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live. The experience. For the first time ever, get an inside look at the making of SNL. Critics nationwide are raving over 500 artifacts direct from the show. Be a part of Wayne's work, weekend update, and so much more. Experience all it takes to put the show together. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications at 360 North State Street in Chicago. For tickets, visit museum.tv. 
Everyone loves vacationing in Florida. So why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sit cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City at HiltonUniversal.com. They let you be the star in Hollywood. Hollywood. 